for Langston and uh, Derek, uh, we are, um, or Dwight, I'm sorry, for Dwight, we're looking at Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, we're in Paul's second missionary journey, and as Paul has now got Luke and Timothy and Silas with him, it's a little different journey than the first time when it, when it was pretty much just him and Barnabas. Just two guys going to take the gospel westward on, a, on this adventure. They go out. When they got back to Antioch, remember fireworks went off. You had people saying you've got to be circumcised. You've got to keep the law. They went down to Jerusalem to get clarification. They sent word back with Silas and Judas saying, hey, who were leaders down there, you know, you don't add anything to the gospel. The only thing that's required is Jesus plus nothing. But we want you to be sensitive to those you're trying to reach. And there's a lot of Jewish people we're trying to reach. So in an effort to be sensitive then, they said, why don't you keep these things? Don't be sexually immoral. Don't you know, eat food, strangle idols. Well, they get back up there. Paul says, we need to go make sure the people that we shared with where we planned these churches, they got their good theology and good orthodoxy. Uh, they got the gospel right. So let's go back and visit them and check on them. <clears throat> Barnabas says, let's take John Mark. Let's give him another chance. Paul says, we can't do it. Mission's too valuable. He's already left us once. We can't take a chance. Um, and so Barnabas and John Mark go to Cyprus. And we see them later in the Scriptures. They're faithful, but they didn't go with uh, Paul. Who, who did end up meeting Paul was Silas. Paul got to know Silas through that process of going through Jerusalem and, and then him going back. And he figured he was a good guy. He was a Roman citizen. He was Jewish. And he was the real deal. So he took Silas with him. But Silas went back to Jerusalem first, met Paul on the way, and Paul picked up another guy, Timothy, and then he picked up Luke and Troas. And remember, when we looked a couple of weeks ago, God had shut the door for Paul to go into Asia. Paul's vision was to go where? Into Asia to take the Gospel to Ephesus, Sardis, Thyatira, and those places. And God said no. He said, okay, I'm going to go up to Bithynia. He said no. And we saw last week that a lot of times God will get us out of our comfort zones and our plans for His agenda. And we saw that with Paul. Paul wanted to go to Asia. He said, no, Paul, you're going to Europe. Paul wanted to go into the synagogues. He goes, no, you're going down by the river. You're going to go to a, a prosuke, a place of prayer. Paul wanted to go to men. He says, no, you're going to go to women. I'm going to plant the church in Europe with women. And that's what he did. Now, if you remember when he was in Troas before he went to Europe, where he went to Philippi, he had this vision of a Macedonian man. And we talked about that last week. Now remember, Philippi was the height of Greek culture. It was, it was obviously a Roman colony, but it was influenced by the Greeks. And so, uh, and by the way, a Roman colony, we talked a little bit about it last week, was a place that was like a little Rome. It, it, it had every bit of the flavor of Rome. And, and so when you went into a Roman colony, you experienced the forum, they had the same kind of theaters. They had all those things there that made Rome famous. And they did the things that they did in Rome. It was just a Roman colony. And we looked at that last week. 
And we go, why in the world would a Macedonian man influenced by Greek culture be crying out to a Jewish man for help? Remember we talked about being like a guy from MIT calling Billy Graham or some backwoods country preacher asking for help. Help me figure out life. And this guy's an astrophysicist. And he can't figure out life. He's calling this other guy. Why? Because a believer with a Bible and the knowledge of Jesus can give answers. We talked about the answers why we're here. Why is the world so broken? What are, what, what's our purpose in being here? What are we supposed to be doing here? And what's our future? How do we move beyond our, our daily lives right now to something bigger? All those answers are right here in God's Word. And we saw that the Greeks abandoned any kind of belief in God's little g and went with human reason. And that's the way they, they dealt with a lot of these questions. And Philippi was heavily influenced by Greek culture. It, it was kind of the epitome. And God says, okay, this is where I'm pushing the Gospel. It's going to go here. Because I want them to understand that only with an infinite personal God can you really see value in man and woman. Only with an infinite personal God can you see the difference between good and evil. Only with an infinite personal God can you experience mercy forgiveness, and hope for a future. And that's, that's what we see in Luke telling this story of what's going on. And by the way, there's three stories in this chapter. Remember, there weren't chapters like in the original letter. It was just one long letter that was read by Theophilus. But there's three stories packed in here right together that I find really interesting because there's three characters. You have last week's woman, Lydia, that we looked at who was an enterprising entrepreneurial businesswoman. She represented the commercial business world. And now we have a slave girl priestess. She is like um, a voodoo woman who represents the spiritual world of false religion. Next week, we're going to look at the Roman jailer who was a military man who became a jailer who is uh, represents the government. So what... Luke is bringing out here is that Jesus is over wealth when he talked to us about Lydia because what did Lydia do as soon as she became a believer? She didn't care about her wealth anymore. She cared about hospitality and taking care of Paul and Barnabas, even if it meant risking her wealth. And what about this woman? We're going to see today that Jesus is over false religions. He's over them. And next week, he's over government. We don't put our security in government. It's not there. Jesus is over everything. And for those of you who have gone to Israel with me and we stood in Capernaum in the synagogue there, and even if you didn't, you may be familiar with the story from Luke 4. Remember what Jesus said when He walked into the synagogue that day? The Spirit of the Lord is on me. And I, what? I came to do what? Proclaim something. Remember what He came to proclaim? He's quoting Isaiah but it's liberty for captives. If you go back and look at what it says in Luke, He came to proclaim good news to the poor. Liberty to the captives. Set at liberty those who were oppressed. Well, who would be oppressing people? Yeah, but who's behind Rome? Who's bigger than Rome? Satan. Satan. 
And, and Jesus came to set those people free. And Paul, it's interesting, you know, when Paul talks about spiritual warfare, you and I don't think about demon possession very much probably. In our country, we don't think about it happening. We're too sophisticated for it here. I've been in other countries where I've witnessed it firsthand. It's scary. It is real. Satan is powerful, guys. But we don't have any authority over Satan. Jesus has authority over Satan. We're humans. Yes, we are His priest. We can ask Him to do something. But this idea of you telling Satan to do something, the only way that happens is if God leads you to do that at that moment. He, ins- he bestows on you that authority to do that. And we walk in freedom because of Jesus. But there's a lot of caricatures of demonic possession and a lot of fun made out of that stuff. But it's real. And Satan's powerful. And if you go to Ephesians chapter 6, Paul lays out in our battle what we should be doing. Taking up the shield of faith, the belt of truth. And at the end of that, he makes this statement. He says, "...making prayers or supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the Gospel." Paul's asking for boldness in proclaiming. What? Liberty to the captives. That's what the Gospel is. Setting the captives free. Satan manifests himself in different ways in people. And so what do we do as believers? Well, we're to be bold, just like Paul prayed. We are to be bold. And you know what? We are bold. We, if you're His and a kingdom priest, we are bold weapons for truth in the world around us. We're bold weapons for truth. We see that in Paul and Barnabas. They go into this situation here and they are weapons of truth. Truth is a weapon. What is, what is our theme verse, 2 Corinthians 10? The weapons of our warfare are what? Not of this world. And we're weapons of truth. Not because of anything we personally possess, but because of the Spirit of the Lord in us who is able to bring clarity and truth to any situation at any time. So first of all, we're bold weapons for truth. Second, we're bold warriors for mercy in our world. We see Paul and Barnabas, I'm sorry, Paul and Silas here, and Timothy and Luke. They speak hope to this young little girl. They do. And they cast the demon out of her. Changed her life. This little girl had been in bondage for who knows how long. She had been trafficked by these slave owners. That's what she was. She was a trafficked young girl. And they they were merciful to her. And Paul says, get out! And the demon left. And that's what we're going to see. So we're all called to be bold warriors for truth. And bold warriors for mercy as well. Well, the last thing too we're going to see in this little text today is that we're also called to be bold witnesses for love. What does that mean? How do you witness for love? See, we live in a world that defines love as an emotion a lot of times, how I feel. But love is an action. It is an action thing. And we see that in Paul in a way that I can't, can honestly say I never really thought about until I was studying for it this week. As he endured a beating... My wife asked me the other day, because we were 
we were watching a movie and this guy risked his life to do something really, really dangerous and really stupid, but because somebody was taking his wife away in this movie. He jumped on an airplane and was holding on to try to rescue her. And Lori goes, would you do that for me? And I says, depends on when you ask me. You know? No, I didn't say that. I said, what do you think? See, that's a good question. Jesus did that a lot. You always go back with a question, right? What do you think I would do, Lori? You know? And she says, I, I, I don't know. I'm asking. I said, no, what do you think? But we were talking about this. What would you do? What would you do so that somebody could hear the gospel? Would you take a beating? Would you let him rip your back, the shirt off your back, and start beating you? Or would you go, hey, you can't do that. I got rights. It's, it's, it's a testimony of Paul's love that he did not want anybody to think that his hope was in Rome at that moment. He wanted people to know he was a citizen of heaven. And that's what we see in the text. So open your Bibles to Acts 16. We're going to look at these three ideas. As his priests were to be bold, weapons for truth, bold, Warriors for mercy and bold witnesses of His love. So, starting in verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them, gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. This is the word of the Lord. What were Paul and them doing? Well, it says, as we were going, Luke writes. They were, they were going to the place of prayer, the prosuke, the place down by the river. Why were they going there? They'd already gone there and shared the gospel. What were they doing? They were what? Building them up. Building them up. Training them, right? Guys, listen. Do you realize if everybody in this room next year, well, not even, just one guy, one guy, only one guy in this room wins one guy to Christ and then disciples that guy. And then the next year, both of them win a guy and disciple that guy. And then the next year, those four win one guy and disciple that guy. And that trend continues. How old are you, Brian? 48. 
48. So if you did that for 30 years, you'd reach over a billion people. We think big numbers. Paul was going back to build into those women that were there and he's discipling these women. Again, getting out of his comfort zone, but he's discipling them. He's training them so that they can be the beachhead there in Philippi. And there's others there. Remember, well, we'll see at the end of the chapter, there's going to be men there also by this time. But initially, it was just women. Remember, you've got to work with what you got. You've got to work with what you got. And so he's going back there, and it says as he's going to this place of prayer, there was a slave girl. Now, the word girl there, it, it indicates a child. Someone between the age of about 7 to 10. They were a slave between 7 to 10. How did you become a slave in the Roman Empire? Well, there are several ways, but did you know this? That during this, this is about 50 AD, by the way. So about 50 AD, about one of every three people that lived under Roman control was a slave. Over 20 million slaves in Rome and in that area that they controlled. How did you get there? Well, you got there by being a POW. They could make you a slave. If you were a criminal, they could make you a slave. If you owed money that you couldn't pay, they made you a slave. If your parents sold you, they made you a slave. One of the most hideous ways that you became a slave was if a, if a woman had a baby and brought it to her husband and the husband looked at it and goes, I don't want that baby. Either because it was inconvenient at that time or he just didn't like something about the baby. They would then take the baby outside the city gate and just set it down. Infant exposure. Thousands and thousands and thousands of babies left outside the city gates. Poor people or people that did not have money to buy slaves would usually scour those areas. They would take in these infants, raise them to be their slave. Not their child, but their slave. And if you think that sounds horrendous and doesn't happen, I have five adopted girls from China. Every one of them was left abandoned on the side of the road. Every one. My oldest, Kate, was wrapped in a piece of carpet found by some person passing by, whining, inside of a piece of rolled up carpet left in an alley in China. It's awful. So this little girl was victimized from the day she was born. She was a slave girl. Either her parents gave her up or through just people finding her and bringing her to make her a slave, they trafficked her. They used her. They used her like a circus prop to get money from people. Acting like she had, and she may have had some kind of demonic spirit. She obviously did because Paul cast it out. But she was a slave girl. And it says that she had a spirit of divination. Does anybody have a different translation of that in your particular Bible? Uh, does it say anything anywhere? Anybody got a translation that says anything other than divination or spirit? Mine says demon possessed, but that's the same thing. Yeah. Well, if you go in the original Greek, in the original Greek language, 
it says that she had a spirit of pythos. A pythos spirit. Now, pythos was a, a serpent. Either Some people said it's a dragon. Some people said it's a snake. But it was a serpent that guarded the temple of Gaia in Delphi over in central Greece. There was a temple in central Greece at Mount Parnassus that at the base there, and it was this temple of Gaia. Delphi means womb, but uh, the temple of Gaia was where they would go to get oracles from the oracle of Delphi. And the oracles would tell people fortunes or, or their future. And so literally people would come from miles all over the world to come in there in hopes that this oracle would tell them something they wanted to hear from God or the gods in their mind. Because they didn't have a Bible text or an ancient text in Greece and Rome where they would get information about the gods. They wanted to hear from the gods so they would go to where this oracle was. And the, the temple was guarded supposedly by this serpent named Pythos. And so, people would come and they would just line up from rich to poor. It was always the rich up front. And sometimes, the oracles didn't give like ongoing oracles all the time. So it was very limited. So sometimes the poor people wouldn't get to hear. But there were two fault lines that ran through this temple of Gaia and, and underneath the ground. And it eventually became the temple of Apollo because Apollo supposedly killed the serpent who went into the ground and his rotting corpse was the fumes that came up through the fault lines. That's what they said. But what they later determined years later is uh, that those fumes that were coming up was ethylene. And so they would take young girls down there who would ingest that ethylene, have these visions, because it was a hallucinogenic thing for them, and they would just start uttering things in this raspy, demonic voice that a priest would interpret as an oracle from Apollo. And so these priestesses were considered priestesses of Apollo, but they were called Pythia priestesses after Pythos. So when you see Pytho, a spirit of Pythos there, that's what it's talking about. This was one of those little girls. They're over there and either her owners took her to, to Oracle of Delphi or someplace like that and they went in there and because Delphi was the only temple where common people could go in in that whole time. There were all other the temples you couldn't just go in. Only priests could go in there. But in Delphi, common people could go in to get the oracle. And if you go there today, you can still. I think you can go there today, and they've got ruins of the Temple of Apollo and and the, the, the Temple of Athena over there. And and all the people would bring their alms and bring their gifts that had come to pass because they'd gotten an oracle and they went out in the world and got blessed because of it. And so they would bring things back to them. And they have these little bitty uh, temples, almost like you see in um, India. You'll see all these little temple places where people do the same thing there. But God's people don't get truth from an oracle. 
God's people get truth from one source, is from His Word. And, and God is pretty clear in, in Deuteronomy 32, and he, and he goes on to say it again through Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, that, that when you worship an idol, you're worshiping a demon. I mean, there are no false gods. They're just demons. These are demons. They're, they're products of Satan. They're demons. And so God's people don't go there. Well, this little girl was basically a demon-possessed, just like your translation said, priestess of Pythos. She was a Pythia priestess. And these men were using her like a carnival show, making money off of her. She was trafficked. She was a victim. And guess what? So here's what you have. You have the messengers of Jesus encountering a messenger of Apollo. You have the messengers of Jesus coming into the Roman world, really going against the messengers of Rome. The messengers of Rome say Caesar is God. The religious girl says Apollo is God. Paul said Jesus is God. And that's, that's the clash we see going on right here. And notice what she says in verse 17. She says, these men are slaves of the Most High God. That word Most High God is the name that would be recognized about Yahweh for people outside of Israel. It's El Elyon, the Most High God, the Creator God. And she said, they proclaim the way to salvation. Now, don't you find that interesting? That this demon-possessed girl who is spouting out, these men are slaves of the Most High God. These men are telling you how to be saved. You know what's interesting about that is that Demons don't lie in the presence of God. Look at all the times in the presence of Jesus. What did they say? Have you come to torment us? You are the Christ. You are the one. They would. Demons don't lie in the presence of God. They don't. But they will lie to men. They will lie to men. And they do lie to men about God. They tell us lies about God, but when they're in God's presence, they can't lie. Why? Because He has authority over them. He has authority. And so we see this girl proclaiming this, telling people, and what are, what are Paul and Silas going to do? What are, what are, Timothy and Luke have to be watching this going, oh no. Because they grew up in Greek culture. They, they, they were watching as... Is, is God going to go against this priestess? And they were bold weapons for truth. I'm sure they didn't compromise their message. And we can't either. We have to be bold weapons for truth in our world. Are we messengers of Jesus when we go out in our world? Or do people see us as messengers of our culture? Are we messengers of Jesus or are we messengers of some kind of false religion? Because anything that promotes stuff we have to do to earn favor with God is false. It's not true. We can't add anything to it. God calls us to be bold weapons for truth in our world because our world needs it. Our world's full of lies. Well, if you go on and look in verse uh, 18, it says she did this for many days, right? She did this for many days. When you think about 
The truth we proclaim. What is that truth, guys? What did she say they proclaimed? The way of salvation. What is it? That there's only one way to connect to the Most High God. There's only one way, and His name is Jesus. All other approaches are demonic. There's no God but Yahweh. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes back to the Father except through Me. Do you remember what Paul said when he went into the city and they said, these men are gods, him and Barnabas. He said, turn from what? These vain things to a living God. There's only one source. That's what we proclaim. Remember at the beginning I read what Jesus said when He, when he said we proclaim liberty? One of the things we proclaim is that there is only one way to the living God. We don't step back and compromise on that. And it doesn't matter what Gene Dixon, John Edwards, or uh, Teresa Capito, the Long Island Medium, all these fortune tellers, tarot card readers, it doesn't matter how they say something and it may come true. That does not give them validity if they also talk about Jesus. There were people that said Gene Dixon was a Christian. So why wouldn't you partner with somebody who has an ability to speak to other people because she's saying things and they came true? Have you ever heard that? Because we don't partner. We don't partner. Paul was annoyed, it says. When you partner with demons, you validate and them as messengers. So we don't partner with demonic people. Even if they're saying Jesus is Lord. Of course they know Jesus is Lord. They're demonically possessed. The demons know that Jesus is Lord. God doesn't need Satan's publicity. <laughs> he doesn't. We have resorted to marketing today where I believe that the church has compromised a lot on this. And they've compromised because they want publicity. I can tell you right now, if Jack Daniels came in here tomorrow and said, hey Doug, we want to do a big thing. We're going to send this truck all over the U.S. and um, we, we want to give it to you for free. We want to advertise SWAT, SWAT radio, and you can talk about Jesus all day long. And one whole side is going to be SWAT radio on this side, and the other side is going to be Jack Daniels. That's not going to happen. Every person I've ever known that drank that product, every person without fail that's drank that product has ruined their life. That is not something I want to be associated with. I don't care if they give me free publicity. So Paul is annoyed. This lady is trying to validate herself. And that's just like Satan. He wants to come along and act like he's doing something good when in reality, he's just... He, he's trying to validate his messenger. And Paul says, no, that ain't going to happen. But Paul also wanted to be like his rabbi. And what did his rabbi do? His rabbi was Jesus. And every time his rabbi saw people that had demons, he felt compassion for them. You want to hear? Matthew 4, Matthew 8, Matthew 9, Matthew 10, Matthew 15, Matthew 17. In every one of those chapters... Jesus casts demons out of people. He casts demons out of people. The same in Mark, Luke. There's like seven or eight chapters in Luke. In Acts 5, 
We see his apostles doing it. In Acts 13, we see his apostles doing it. In Acts 16, we're seeing it here. And you know what? That's because we are to be bold warriors for mercy too. We are to be merciful warriors. When we go out in the world, we represent the Most High God. And so we are to proclaim a message to captives that you can be free. And who keeps them captive is Satan. And it reminds me, you know, they were accusing Jesus of working for Satan. And you remember what he said over in Luke chapter 11? He said, if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, because they were saying this because he was casting out demons. And remember that phrase, finger of God, where it came from in the Old Testament? When, when uh, Moses was doing the miracles and the, the magicians of Pharaoh were trying to emulate those miracles, at one point they couldn't do it anymore. And they go, surely this is what? The finger of God is what they said. And so Jesus said to them, which would have reminded everyone what He would have taken them right back to that passage, which is what Jesus did. He says, if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and he overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and he divides his spoils. Guys, the second part of this verse, 2 Corinthians 10.4, is we destroy strongholds. We proclaim liberty. We go out into the world and destroy strongholds as His warriors for mercy. This woman was delivered from evil. She had a demonic spirit in her. And Paul said, come out. And it says at that very hour, it came out. Just like his rabbi. Just like his rabbi. But her slave owners weren't very happy. In fact, they dragged him into the marketplace, the forum there. The forum in Philippi was like the marketplace of ideas, the marketplace of goods being sold. But as bold warriors for mercy, you know what we proclaim? We also proclaim that other than Jesus as Messiah, all other forms of any religious faith are identical. They're all identical. They all have a works-based mentality and they're all demonic. Buddhism, demonic. Islam, demonic. Hinduism, demonic. Confucianism, demonic. They're all demonic. Now you try, go, go sharing that down in the public square and see how that goes. Any, any belief system that says you can do something to be favored by the Creator or the deity, whatever the deity is, is from one place. Sure. It's from Satan. Hinduism, for example, over in India, they teach reincarnation. You come back in a higher form if you do what? Good works. Good works called karma. You do good things, you'll come back in a higher state. You do bad things, you come back in a lower state. you got to keep working to keep coming back higher. A Buddhist would say that all reincarnation is bad. Buddhists don't believe in reincarnation. 
Buddhists believe in following the eightfold path. They believe in meditation. They believe they do believe that we sin. They believe the body causes sin. And what they believe is the way to overcome that is to deny your physical desires and to, to basically meditate, chant mantras, and and then there's no need for um, reincarnation. There's no need for a deity. You have it within you. You just meditate. That's what Buddhists believe. Islam, no assurance of life after death. They believe um, the five pillars of Islam, that proclamation, there is no God but Allah. Prayers, you've got to pray five times a day. They believe in alms. You have to give alms to the poor. You have to fast during Ramadan. You have to make one lifetime pilgrimage to Mecca or another religious site. And then, even then, you may not get there. In fact, they believe you have to, you should still pray for Muhammad that Muhammad will receive favor. So they're, they're all demonic. They all teach good works equals God's favor or good blessings. But that's not what Christianity teaches. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 what? It is by what? Grace you are saved. Not of any works. Not of works. Otherwise, man's going to boast. It's a gift of God. So these are the things that we proclaim to people. That there is one way to Creator God. There's one way to have peace with the Creator of this world. Oh, I don't care about peace with the Creator of the world. Okay. But if you do, there's only one way to have it. We are to be bold proclaimers, guys. Bold proclaimers. We're weapons of, of, of truth, but we're also warriors for mercy. Who, where are the men that are standing up for the Megan Connors of the world? I shared about last week. The traffic victims. This little girl was trafficked. She was 7 to 10 years old, and they were using her like a freak show to go make money off of her. The same thing happens today. It just happens through pornography. Sexual exploitation. You, you can go down Dominican Republic and get a room and they'll have a little girl in there waiting on you. Where are the men standing up and saying, this is wrong. Let's pray. Let's, let's pray that God would deliver these. You know, every time I go down a road and I see lion's den or I see a, a place, you know, in Texas, they're all over. I would pray God, bring that place down. Burn it down. Burn it down. Those are things we should be praying. Get that filth out of here. It's nothing but toxicity to us as men. Don't let the enemy entice you. The enemy, you know, there was a movie I saw a long time ago, man. It was, I probably wouldn't watch it today, but back then I watched it. It's called The Devil's Advocate, but I've never forgotten a scene in that movie. There's two women in there that are very scantily clad. They're seductive. But then in one moment, when Keanu Reeves looks at these ladies, their faces turn into demon faces. Because Al Pacino in the movie plays Satan. And I thought, man, I wish I could project that onto women that caused me to lust. To realize that what's going on is there's a natural desire inside each one of us 
that the enemy wants to tempt and say, I want you to focus that natural desire in a place that's not healthy for you. And that's what's going on with, with lust. See, desire is not bad. Lust is. Desire is something God gives us. But lust is something that takes hold of us. And, and we forget that God's Word says in 1 Thessalonians, this is the will of God that you what? Abstain from all sexual immorality. Because why? God is an avenger. He's an avenger. These slave owners, you think they were avenged? Or God avenged this little girl? I bet you He did. There's, there's going to be a huge reckoning one day to all these people that have trafficked these kids. You think Epstein isn't getting a reckoning right now? And it's sad. These people have abused people their whole lives. And, and most people think they get away with it, but they don't. God is a God of justice. And while we're here, He calls us to be what? Warriors for mercy. Keep your eyes open. Be willing to be somebody who will speak up. Because you know what? If you don't speak up, if you remain silent, you know, I was thinking about the resurrection the other day. Peter gets a bad rap because he denied Christ three times. You know who else denied Christ? Who was there? John. John did it by silence. You know, in the Old Testament, it says that if you know something, and somebody's being accused of something, and you don't speak up, then you incur the penalty that they get. That's in the Old Testament. And John sat there with Peter and he was silent. He didn't say anything. Did he know Jesus was Messiah? He thought he was. He followed Him. But he didn't speak up. Peter just outright denied Him. But our, most of us aren't out there outright denying them verbally, what we do is we just don't speak up. And we're to be bold proclaimers, Paul says. Not only weapons of truth, but also warriors for mercy for people. When we see injustice going on, when we see trafficking, when we see victims being used and abused by the world, as God's people, we have a responsibility to pray for them and to be people that care for the widow, the orphan, the sojourner. And finally, he says, we are to be bold witnesses of His love. Verse 20, And when they had brought them to the magistrate, they said, these men are Jews. Think there's a little anti-Semitism going on here? And they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans, they said. In other words, Jewish people believed El Elion was divine. Who did the Romans think was divine? Caesar. Caesar. Yeah. And so they got these magistrates and they had lictors, which was basically, they, they had rods. These men had rods that they would carry around in a bundle. And when a magistrate saw somebody that broke the law, somebody that was causing problems, they would immediately break open that bundle and start beating them. They would go, take them to the Bema seat in the, in the forum or the Agora there, and they would go before them and say, this guy did this. Okay, beat him. 
give him this many lashes or this many hits with the, 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 the rods. And here's the thing. You can't beat a Roman without a trial. You know you could be executed for that? I mean, if you were a Roman citizen and some magistrate just starts beating you, that was a very serious offense. Why didn't Paul produce his documents? Why didn't Silas, why didn't they say, hey, we're Roman citizens, stop! They did later. They did in Caesarea. Why didn't they do it here? You know what Paul wrote to the Philippians in Philippians 3, verse 20? He said he was a citizen of heaven. He did not want anybody there to believe during this time, right at this moment, that his security was in Rome. His security was in the one true living God. And he didn't want to invoke his Roman citizenship even though he could, because he does later. Because after he's released from jail, when they say, hey, we want to let him out, what does he say? Hey, they're going to beat us and we weren't condemned. And, and Paul had a secret on them. You know, information is a good thing when you have it on a government official who wants to keep his position. Because this guy, this magistrate, beat a Roman citizen, not one, but two of them, without a trial. He was in big trouble. And Paul held that over his head. You know why? Because ultimately, guess who was going to benefit from that? Not Paul, but the church in Philippi. The church in Philippi. But at this moment, he didn't invoke it. Out of his love for these people that were there, he did not want them to think that he was placing his faith in Rome. He had been spreading a message of the God Most High and how He delivers. And so, he didn't invoke that. And it says they gave him many blows and then they put him in prison. And you don't put people in prison there as a sentence. It was a holding place either for crucifixion or being sold as a slave. So they ordered him put in prison and put into stocks. They put him in stocks. And it wasn't, most of us know what stocks are, but these stocks were different than the Romans used. They would spread your legs out and arms out in these weird positions so that you were very uncomfortable, almost tortured to be there. And how did Paul respond to that? Well, we're going to see next week. But Paul proclaimed he was a bold witness of love. And you know what he proclaimed? The same thing we're called to proclaim. The exclusivity of Jesus as our King. Caesar's not our King. Apollo, false religions, they're not our King. Jesus is our King. He also proclaimed God's power over Satan and demons. Guys, demons and Satan, they're powerful. They're very powerful. Don't underestimate their power. But God's more powerful. And we have an answer for that in Jesus. He also proclaimed the captives are free. We are to warn people who are trapped by Satan and demonic belief systems, guys. It's not enough just to, to pray silently for them. We have an op opportunity to witness to them and to pray for them and to challenge them and say, hey, have you thought about this? What they do with it is up to them, but we can proclaim to them that they can have freedom because our citizenship isn't here. It's in heaven. Our allegiance is Jesus over all things. You know, when we proclaim liberty, 
We become the message. When we do that, we become. They're looking at our lives and our lives hopefully will be matching up with our message. But you know what? When we do that, we're going to attract the weak and the marginalized. They're attracted to that message. But guess what? The powerful and those who prosper off of them aren't going to like it very much. And that's what we're going to see. It's what you see here. One final thing. The Temple of Apollo had thousands of names written on it. And what it was, it was names of slaves who were freed. And the way they did that is the slaves would save money. Finally, when they would get enough money to buy their freedom, they would bring it to the priest at the Temple of Apollo. And the, the, the priest there would take the money, reach out to the owner of the slave, and get the slave owner and the slave to come back. He would then present that money to the slave owner, freeing the slave. That slave would then go over to the wall and carve his name in the wall there at the temple. And the priest would tell him, you now are indebted to Apollo. He owns you. And it reminds me of Romans 6 where Paul says, you know, we're slaves to sin or in Galatians 4 where he says you're slaves to this world. You were slaves to the world. You were slaves to idols. But over in 1 Corinthians, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, you were bought with a price. He owns us now. We never had the money to buy our own freedom. But He bought us. And He owns us. And He owns us so that we can be bold witnesses for Him. Bold in proclaiming the truth. Bold in proclaiming mercy. Bold in proclaiming His love for people. The question is, are we a weapon for truth out in the world? Are we a warrior for mercy? The mercy that's so desperately needed. Are we a witness of His love? I hope so. I hope so. As we leave here today, I hope when we walk through those doors, those three things would be something that we ask God to help us with as we represent Him to the world.